preaching on. Let me just say a couple of things before I read the word to you today. Don't forget tonight at 6 o'clock, we're back on our regular Sunday night connect schedule. I know it's summertime, but you're in town. You're not, you haven't gone anywhere. If you didn't know that, you're here this morning. If you didn't know, you're here. And I want you to be back tonight at 6 o'clock with us for Sunday Night Connect. We're going to have a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. I also want to thank uh, this wonderful staff that I've been blessed with, Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Tony and Eric and Pastor Lindell and Sarah. Uh, gone nine days over the last week, uh, part of a week and then all of last week. And they just did a wonderful job, held things down. And I heard such wonderful reports about last Sunday. Pastor Jeremy brought the Word of God, did a, a wonderful job, heard great things about that. Pastor Jeremy, thank you. Thank you. And of course, Pastor Tony leading us into the presence of God every single Sunday. I appreciate this wonderful staff. And it's good this morning to have some, you're never going to believe it, we got some friends from Rocky Mount that are here this morning. Dale and Belinda Basham and Stephanie Bernard and her girls. Did I see that? Did I see that grandbaby this morning? You folks wave at me. Say, well, know where you're at. Right down here. Everybody wave at me. That, that whole pew right there. Those folks drove, drove down this morning to uh, be with us. And I'm telling you, you know, 10 years, Brother Gene, I guess some folks halfway like me after 10 years, they keep showing up on Sundays. And, uh, hopefully it won't take you 10 years to like me. I don't know. But uh, it's good to see you today. Dale and Belinda and Stephanie. So good to see you guys this morning. Thanks for being here. What a wonderful, wonderful time we spent there in Rocky Mountain. You know, it's good that you make relationships, and even though you move away and miles separate you, you know, when you love Jesus and you have that kindred spirit, it's just your family, your family Amen. forever. And uh, it's just wonderful to see those folks today. Psalm 107, I'll begin reading the 23rd verse. I'm going to read through the 29th verse. If you have it, say amen this morning. If you don't have it, you can cheat off of your neighbor, so whatever. Whatever way that you have the word this morning, let's read it. Psalm 107, verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Verse 25. For he commands and raises the stormy wind. Everybody say stormy. Stormy. Commands and he raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. Verse 26, they mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. Verse 27, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. Verse 29, he calms the storm. Everybody say he calms the storm. Calms the storm so that its waves are still. Verse 25 says that he commands and he raises the stormy wind. But then verse 29 says... Not only does he command the storm, but he calms the storm. So I want to take a few moments this morning and then again next week, this little two-part series entitled, What Our Storms Teach Us. What Our Storms Teach Us. If you don't mind, I'd like to pray and then I'll let you be seated. Father, thank you for the word of God today. Thank you for the power that is contained in this treasure chest that we call the Bible. Thank you, God, that it is relevant to our lives, God, and has the power to absolutely transform and change us. So I ask today, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll give us revelation of the Scripture today, God, and that you'll bless, encourage, and strengthen somebody today through the power of your Word. And we love you. And we gather on these altars in the next few moments. God, I want you to minister to your people, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. The church said amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Thank you, Pastor Tony. As most of you know, I just spent the last several days with my mother and father who 
three years ago retired to North Myrtle Beach, and they presently are living in a little place called Longs, South Carolina. And it is that time of the year there from June until September that they call hurricane season. And at any moment during that time of the year, a hurricane could blow in and wreak great havoc and cause much damage. You know, over the last several years, this country and even this world has endured its fair share of storms, from hurricanes to tornadoes that touched down in this county a few years back and left a lot of devastation, to tsunamis and other storms like that. And when I see these storms and I hear about these storms, it causes me to ask myself this question. What, if anything, do our storms teach us? Not naturally, mind you, but in a moment we'll talk about the spiritual storms and storms of life. You know, I'm convinced that if we let them, our storms can be very enlightening. And we have witnessed some powerful storms, Brother Turpin, over the years. Ten years ago, 2005, Hurricane Katrina leveled the city of New Orleans. That storm would go down as one of the top five deadliest storms in the United States of America. So powerful was that storm that as a result of the storm surge, there were 25-foot walls of water. So powerful was that storm that 53 different levees were breached in that city that left 80% of New Orleans submerged underwater. As a result of that storm, 1,836 people lost their lives as a result of that storm. And when the dust finally settled the damage was calculated over $81 billion worth of damage as a result of that storm. I had an opportunity because our church had partnered with another church that had been devastated and completely wiped out on the Ninth Ward there in New Orleans to get in an automobile with the administrative bishop of Louisiana, Bill Isaacs, and he took me through the Ninth Ward. This was months after the devastation. And even months later, there were houses that were turned upside down still on their front doors. As we drove through the Ninth War, there were these big white X's that were marked on the, on the door of the home or the window of the home. And it would have the number one and then, a, and then WM or, or the letter two and, and WF or white male or white female or black male or black female. That's the number of bodies they pulled out of those homes. Powerful storms. And then a few years back, we had this storm called a derecho. I don't know if you remember that storm that came through a few years ago. It was the, it was the, the, the most mystical phenomenon that I've ever seen in my life. Crazy winds, but no rain. 
Thunder and lightning, but no rain and such powerful winds. It left, it left over 4 million people on the eastern half of the United States without power. 95 mile per hour hurricane-like winds as a result of that storm. The 911 call center was disabled for 48 hours as a result of that storm. D.C. Metro came to a screeching halt as a result of that storm. That storm hit close to our home because my children's pastor at Rocky Mount, thankfully that night had taken her little boy who was, what, five or six at the time and gone over to her mother's house. And when those winds came barreling through, there was this tree, huge tree, that came right down in the middle of her practically brand new modular home. I mean, almost literally, it split the roof in half. And had she been home with her little boy, he would have been in that bed. That tree would have fallen on him. And more than likely, it would have killed him. Powerful storms. There was a study that was done a few years back that looked at the effect of climate change in the entire city of New York. And the study said that if, that if another hurricane like Irene, or Irene came through New York a few years back, if another hurricane like that ever came through the city of New York, it would result in a third of the city streets of New York being underwater and most of the tunnels leading into Manhattan being flooded in under an hour of time. Powerful storms. And in a natural sense, storms are both powerful and they're devastating. We have faced and we are facing some stormy times, not just physically now, but spiritually. We are facing some stormy times. And much like Mother Nature, life can be stormy at times. And storms not only affect the landscape of our communities, but they affect the landscape of our lives. He said that he would love you forever, but he lied, and now he loves somebody else. It's a storm. Or she said she would love you forever, but she lied, and now she's in love with somebody else. It's a storm. The doctor's face tells a story that shakes you to the core of your soul. The report indicates that the cancer is back. It's a storm. You wake up with a start from the banging on your door. You get out of bed stumbling, trying to get your wits about you and answer the door. And as you open the door, there's an officer on the other side of the door who says there's been an accident involving one of your children. It's a storm. A momentary emotional decision results in the injury of innocent people and the courts now hold you responsible. It is a storm. Storms come in all shapes and sizes. All of us are susceptible to storms. Storms can come physically. Storms can come in the form of, of emotional things. It can come in the form of spiritual things. And no matter 
how strong that we are and how prepared that we think we are, storms have the potential and the tendency to overwhelm us when they happen. But I'm convinced this morning that Pastor Jeremy, within every storm, there are lessons to be learned. I believe there are teaching points that we can lift from every storm that will help us in the midst of the storm. I want to take you into Scripture for just a moment and show you a natural storm, a spiritual storm. And see what it is that the Lord may want to teach us. Go with me just for a moment. Let's talk about the stormy story of a man that I talked about several Sunday nights ago by the name of Job. The Bible tells us that there was a meeting in heaven one day. And I don't have the theology to completely grasp and understand and comprehend all about this meeting but God was having a meeting with the angels in heaven, the Bible says. And while he's in this meeting, the Bible tells us that Satan showed up right in the middle of that meeting, Brother Stout. And when he did, God looks at him and says, Satan, where have you been and where have you come from? And Satan says to the Lord, I have been roaming to and fro all over the earth. And then God says something. That, that just blew my mind. Of all the people that God could have mentioned that day in that heavenly chamber. He said, well, Satan, have you, or Satan, or Lucifer, angel of light, cast out of heaven because he wanted God's throne. Worship leader in heaven. Let the choir in heaven. It's something about the music people. What is that, Pastor Tony? Just kidding. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless. He's upright. He fears me. He sons evil. The Bible described him that there wasn't a man like him anywhere else in the east. He was the epitome of godliness. Satan said, yeah. But the only reason he's like that is because you've put this hedge around him. You take the heads down, he'll curse you to your face and he'll and, 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 and die is what he'll do. And God says, okay, devil, I'm going to remove the heads for a season. And everything he has is now at your disposal. But you can't touch his life. Now, we struggle with that some, but here's the principle I can pull from that, that nothing ever touches you without the permission of God first. That doesn't mean that God inflicts bad things upon his people. He doesn't try to harm and hurt his children, but he does allow some things to happen. And the only reason that the enemy was allowed to do what he did was because God Almighty, who was all-powerful, said, I'll give you permission, but you can only Go this 
far. God, i got to stop here and preach for one second. You may be in the midst of some hell today. And you may be facing a storm. But I'm telling you, it can only go as far as God has said it could go. And at some point, he's going to put his hand up and say, no more. Now it's my turn to step in on the scene. Listen, he's had you covered from the first time the wind started blowing. He's had his hand on your life from the first raindrop that you felt. He's had you in the palm of his hand long before anything ever happened in your life. God has it all under control. Oh, I'm going to preach for a little bit today. So he takes the heads down. And there are four scenes that transpire in the stormy story of Job. One day Job is sitting around his house. One of his servants come running to him. Said, Job, the oxen were plowing. And the donkeys were feeding. Remember, Job was the wealthiest man in all of the east. Nobody, had, they, nobody could touch his wealth. And he said, Job, this foreign group of people called the Sabians have come. And they've taken the donkeys, they've taken the oxen, they've slaughtered all the servants, and I'm the only one that has escaped to tell you. And if you read that story, it says while he is still yet speaking, he has not even completely and fully delivered the message yet. Another servant comes running in and says, Job, Job. He said, fire has fallen. This freak firestorm has fallen fallen from heaven. It's consumed the sheep. It's consumed the servants. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now he's got two servants. The second servant, the Bible says, while he is still yet speaking, he's not even completely delivered all the message yet to Job. A third servant comes running in. And he says, Job, I've got terrible news for you. He said the Chaldeans have formed three powerful bands of warriors. They have taken all the camels. They've slaughtered all the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. <clears throat> Why he is still yet speaking. That's three now. <clears throat> the words are still coming out of his mouth. A fourth servant runs in and says, Job... I've got awful news. Your sons and your daughters, your seven sons, your three daughters, were in the oldest boy's house having a feast. This windstorm came. And it has blown the four corners of the house down. It's collapsed on all ten of them. Every single one of them are dead, Job. And I alone have escaped to tell you. He's got four servants left alive. Ten dead children. And not one bit of material wealth left. I would say that's a storm. I would say that's a pretty bad day. And the Bible says that Job got up. Shaved his head, sprinkled ashes on himself, rent his garment in two. 
and said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible said, Job never sinned or charged God foolishly. And if that wasn't enough, the Bible says in Job 2, there's another meeting that happens in heaven. God is dialoguing with those celestial beings up there. And guess who shows up at the meeting? Satan shows up again. Like God really needs to know, he says, Satan, where have you come from? What have you been doing? Satan says, I've been roaming to and fro across the face of the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? You incited me to take the heads down and destruction has come upon his life. And God says, but Satan, do you realize he still maintains and holds fast to his integrity, devil? And Satan said, sure he does. Even though you took the heads down. And even though he has maintained his integrity and held fast to his character. The only reason he's done that, God, is because you did not let me inflict his physical body. And Satan says, everything a man will give for his life. You take the hedge down from his physical body, he'll curse you and die. And God says, okay, I will, let, I will allow you to inflict physical harm on him, but you may not take his life. His life is in my hands and it belongs to me. And in the next few verses that we read, the Bible tells us that Job is inflicted with these painful boils. From the crown of his head, Brother Turpin, to the very bottom of his feet. He is in such anguish and such pain <clears throat> as he sits, the Bible tells us, amongst the ashes of the ruins of his home, his life, everything that he had. And he takes these pieces of sharp clay, begins to scrape off the boils. While he's scraping off the boils, his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Why are you continuing to walk through this, Job? Why don't you just spit in God's face and tell him you're done? Job says to her, you speak as a foolish one. Shall we accept good from God and not accept bad? And the Bible reiterates to us again in all of this, Job never sinned and he never charged God foolishly. And when the dust settles on that, seven of Job's comforters, or so the Bible calls them, show up at his house. I'm not, not seven, I'm sorry, three of Job's comforters. Show up at his house, sit down, and for seven days they stare at him. I don't want comforters like that. 
And when they finally talk after a week-long period of silence, they start railing accusations at him. Job, you must have sinned. What is your grievance? What have you done? It's caused God to do this. Listen, just because there are storms in life doesn't mean that you've done something to make God mad. Sometimes life just happens and sometimes life is stormy. In this world, you are going to have tribulation, Jesus said. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Listen, many are the afflictions of the righteous, David said. But God, I'm glad that there's always a but God in there. Many are the afflictions. There, oh, I'm going to preach right here. There may be hurt, and there may be hell, and there may be pain, and there may be disappointment, and there may be discouragement, and there may be depression, and many are the afflictions. But God always delivers them out of them all. Listen, he may not come when you want. But he'll always show up right on time. He may not come in the morning. He may not come in the evening. He may not come at noontime. But I'm telling you, at some point, God will show up in your life and deliver you from every storm, every trial, and every trouble. Come on and praise him if you believe that today. I got 10 minutes at least. Some of you are thinking, I wish you'd go away more often, Pastor. You preach better when you're gone. <laughs> and when I look at that story, and I see the story of Job, and I see the troubles of Job, and I see the trials of Job, and I see the storms. Let me lift three lessons real quickly that his storms teach us. Number one. Storms are unexpected. Job's life was turned upside down with no explanation. Job got no advance warning, Pastor Tony, that this was coming. None. I'm going to tell you that when the troubles and the trials and the struggles and the storms of life come so unexpectedly, it will test the strongest of men and women. Nobody is ever prepared for that phone call. Nobody is ever prepared for that doctor's report. I wasn't prepared almost 20 years ago when my mother called me and said, I need to tell you something. I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I'm going to have to go in for surgery. And we're not sure how deep it's gotten, if it's in the lymph nodes or not. 
What do you say when you get that kind of phone call? We're never prepared when a boss walks in and hands you a pink slip and says we're having to make cutbacks and we can't afford to keep you. We appreciate all that you've done and you've been loyal to this company. We have a small severance for you, but that's all that we can offer you. Who's ready for that? Nobody's prepared for your husband and your wife to sit across the kitchen table from you and say, I don't think I love you anymore. And I don't think I want to stay married to you anymore. I found somebody else that I love more. It doesn't matter that we have children together. The fact that the ramifications upon our kids is going to be deep and it's going to be great. I don't love you anymore and I want a divorce. Who's prepared for that? Who's prepared for the time when you feel like everything is going right and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? You're at a place that God called you to be, fulfilling His plan, and out of nowhere your world is flipped upside down and you have to start making other arrangements to do something else. Who's ready for that kind of moment? And the first lesson is this storms are unexpected. Here's the second lesson. Good people encounter unexpected storms. You know what the Bible said about Job? The, the, the description they gave about Job? He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. And he shunned evil. That's according to Job 1 and 2. There was no man more righteous than Job. If you looked up the word integrity in the dictionary, you would have seen Job's picture beside it, Aunt B. He was a godly, God-fearing, God-honoring man. He was not a spiritual slouch. I mean, the Bible said every single year when his sons and daughters would have their parties. It was more than likely they'd say birthday parties. The, the, the sons would call their, their sisters over. The brothers would call their sisters over. And ten of them, each year, each, each, ten times each year, they'd have this birthday celebration. And when the days of feasting, when the celebrations were done, the Bible said that Job would gather his children. And he would offer burnt sacrifices and burnt offerings for them. And here's what he said. It may be that they had sinned or, or had something in their heart that wasn't right. And the Bible said early in the morning he would do this. And thus he did regularly. He was the spiritual head of his house. He was a godly praying man. But in spite of all of that, Job still encountered an incredible powerful, unexpected storm. And our rational minds, Brother Beckner would say to us, Job should have been spared 
from all of that hell. Job should have never have had to go through that kind of stuff. He should have never had to endure for the stout those storms. Because he was so godly, he was so upright. Why would he have to go through that? But here's the truth. God-fearing, God-honoring people all down through history have had to encounter and deal with unexpected storms. I've had time I talked to you about the Apostle Paul shipwrecked. Spent day and night in the cold, beaten, left for dead. Good people, godly people. Why is it that good, godly Christian people love God, fear God, believe in divine healing, have to die from cancer? I wish I knew. But it's the fact that good people encounter unexpected storms. And here's the third lesson. Storms are unexplainable. You know the most difficult part, part about the story of Job? Is that he never got an explanation or a reason as to why that he had to go through that. I mean, for 30 plus chapters, Job questions God and Job asks God things and Job inquires as to why and God never gives him a reason. There are some things in this life that we will never understand in the natural. Deuteronomy 29 and 29. Pastor Tony, come help me lay in this, please, sir. Deuteronomy 29 and 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord. There are secret things that we will never know about. Why do good godly people die and it seems like the wicked seem to prosper? Why is that? But there are some things in life and times in our lives that we'll have to take our questions and put them into the hands of God. It's, it's called the, it's the trust factor. We take all of our questions and we put them in the hands of God and we, we regard His wisdom as greater than ours. What did the writer of Proverbs tell us? Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. He didn't say not to lean. He said lean not to thine own understanding. If you're going to lean, you better lean on him. My God, that'll preach sometime. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he will what? He will direct thy path. You can't lean. You can't lean to your own understanding, but you've got to lean. You've got to lean on him. Here's what I want to conclude with this morning. 
Storms are not why moments. How many of you here this morning can say, Pastor, I have been through a storm or storms in my lifetime? Would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand up. Who's ever asked why when you've gone through? Anybody ever asked God why when you've gone through? Storms are not why moments. It's not God why is this happening, though, though, that is a natural response. Because we are human beings, we will ask God why. But finding out or figuring out why won't make the pain any easier. Figuring out why won't make the storm any lighter. It's not a why moment. Storms are not why moments. They are what moments. Here's what I mean by that. When you find yourself in a place that's stormy, it's not, God, why is this happening? No. It's, God, what are you trying to teach me? It's not, why is this happening? It's, God, what are you saying to me in the midst of the storm? God, I'm going to show you next week. He will speak in the storm. There's times that he's silent, but there are times that God will absolutely, positively speak in the midst of the storm. So not why, but God, what? What? What are you saying? What are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to say? For 37 chapters in Job, God didn't say anything. He let Job talk the whole time. And then in Job 38, the Bible says, Then the Lord answered Job. And God just laid all kind of questions. Where were you, Job? You've asked me all this stuff, Job, and you've, you, you've, you've questioned me. You haven't really challenged me, but Job, you've questioned me. Why, why, why? Let me ask you a question. Where were you, Job, when I formed this vast universe? Where were you when I carved out the canyons and I scooped out the mountains and I flung the stars into space and I, I set the sun where it needed to be and I, and I started the earth on its rotation? Where were you, Job? In that moment in the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz, where Job was from, you could have heard a pin drop. Job couldn't answer God didn't ever tell him why. But there were some what moments for Job. And at the very end of Job's life, if you read the story, you've got to get all the way to Job 42. You know what happened to Job at the end? God blessed him with twice as much as he had before the storm. And here's what I thought yesterday. I even tweeted it yesterday. It so stirred my heart. Our response, like Job, our response to crisis and trouble determines how this thing plays out in the end. Job responded with worship. Job responded with praise. Job responded with integrity. 
And our response determines the response of God. And what did God do at the end? He built the hedge back up. And he blessed him. Let me use an old preacher adage. He gave him double for all of his trouble. I want you to stand with me, please, this morning quickly. raise up your hands in this place this morning and just stay with me for just a few moments I'm not going to take long would you just raise up your hands today in this place would you just welcome would you welcome the Holy Spirit and right where you are maybe you find yourself in a storm today I want you to say God what what are you trying to teach me God what are you saying to me God, what do you want me to get out of this? What are you doing, God? Spirit of the Lord would say today to somebody, I have used this moment today to speak to you in the midst of your storm. I saw the storm long before you ever encountered it, says the Spirit of the Lord. I am strengthening you today, says the Spirit of God, in the midst of your storm. And if you will surrender to this moment and where you are right now, I will allow you to seize the plan and the destiny that I have for your life. Don't question why, but allow this what moment to engulf you and embrace you and help you to understand that I am doing something greater in you. It's greater and it's more powerful than the storm you're going through. And at some point, says the Spirit of God, in the days to come, the wind will die down. The thunder will stop rolling. The lightning will stop flashing. The rain will cease to fall. And the Spirit of God says the sun will shine again in your life and the gentle breezes will blow over your life and will refresh and renew and restore and revive everything that has been affected by the storm. I am coming in the midst of your storm says the Spirit of the Lord. Raise up your hands and welcome the Holy Ghost today.
I want whoever right now feels like you're in the midst of a storm, would you just raise up your hands and start, listen, just open your mouth, do the best you can, just start praising God in the midst of your storm. Would you do that? Come on. Come on, raise up your hands right where you are right now. If you find yourself in a storm, use those, use those, those, those hands like palm branches before the Lord. And just start waiting. Listen, you want to know that you want to know what a tree that can survive the storm is a palm tree because its roots go down way deep and it'll just bend. Listen, the wind will blow it all the way over, but it won't break. It'll bounce right back up. I wish you'd use your hands today as palm branches before God and just start praising God in the midst of your storm. God, I thank you. I don't understand it all. I can't explain it all, but God, I thank you that in the midst of it, you are faithful. You are there with me, God. You are helping me. You are strengthening me. You are touching me. Come on, come on, somebody. Praise him in the storm this morning. Is it all right if we just wait on the Holy Ghost on a Sunday morning? Listen, I know it's lunchtime, and if you're hungry, help yourself. Go where you got to go. Beat everybody else to the restaurant, but I want to feast on the presence of God for just a few moments. Raise up your hands. Listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to the church today. Raise up your hands and honor the Lord this morning. I'm telling you, I feel waves of God's presence just, just falling on this place. I just feel waves of God's presence falling on this place right now. If you're here and you're facing a storm, get out of your pew and get down to the front of this altar as quick as you can. Would you come? Don't wait. Don't wait. Come as quick as you can. If you're facing a storm, come stand. Come stand from the front to the back all over this place. If you're facing a storm, come. If things are uncertain right now, come. If things are unsettled right now, come. If you feel the winds blowing, come. If you feel the rain, come. If you hear the thunder, come. If you see the lightning, come. But listen, while you're coming, I don't want you to see everything around you. I want you to lift up your head. I want you to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords seated high upon his throne today. He is in control. 
Come on. Anybody else? Come. Don't wait. Come. I don't care what the storm is. Spiritual, physical, mental, emotional. Come. Come. I'm going to wait just another moment because I feel like there's some more people need to come. And then we're going to come as a church family. We're going to build a wall by, behind these people here. And we're going to lift them up. We're going to help. We're going to help sustain them in the storm. Oh. If I were you and I had a need, I'd reach my hand way up to God right now and I'd get a hold of the Lord in this place. If you need something from the Lord, I'd reach my hand way up right now and get a hold of Him. Oh, Jesus. Hey, hey, Dr. O, will you come down here and stand with your wife, please, sir? Come on.
Circumstances, oh, things I could not understand. And many times in trials, all my weakness blurs my vision. All my frustration seems to get so out of hand. Oh, Lord, I see that's when I am reminded that I've never been forsaken and I've never had to stand one test not even one test alone oh and I look at all the victories the power of God it rises up in me oh and it's through my weakness all my weaknesses oh it's made strong he never promised that your cross would not get heavy Boy, oh, yeah, you would not be hard for the climb. No, he never offered one single victory without fighting. But he said help would always come right on time. Yeah, you just gotta remember when you're standing in your valley of decision. Go ahead and give in Oh, you just gotta hold on Oh, yeah, my Lord will show up Oh, Lord, and He will take you through the fire again I know within myself Oh, I will surely perish if I trust the mighty hand of God, He'll shield the flames again. Oh no, He never promised that your cross would not get heavy. Oh, He would not be hard for the climb. He never offered. Single victory without fighting, but he said, Help would always come right on time. So remember when you're standing in your valley of decision, all the adversary says, Give it just. Folks, just come down here and help me build a wall of faith behind these people real fast. I'm going to let you go home. Keep playing, Pastor. You're good. Just give me some folks to come stand down here behind these folks. Listen, we need some storm partners. 
These folks need some people to help them batten down the hatches and dig their heels in. They need some folks to hold an umbrella up, Father, in the midst of the storm. Just find somebody down here and lay your hand on their back and just say, God, give them strength in the midst of the storm. Pastor Tony, sing it. He never promised that your cross would not get heavy. Oh, you Help will always come in time. So remember when you're standing in the valley of decision. Frustration seems to get so out of hand. Oh, God, you know that's when I am reminded that I've never been forsaken and I've never had or to stand one test alone. Oh, Lord, see, I look at all the victories, the power. 